Welcome to episode 15 of the While She Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. My guest today is Sonia Phillip. Sonia is a fiber artist living in San Francisco. She knits and felts and sews, and her work really crosses the boundary between art and craft. I met Sonia on Twitter and was drawn to her most recent project called 100 Acts of Sewing, in which she's created 100 dresses in a year. Through the project, Sonia is exploring the workmanship required to create your own wardrobe and what the word fashion has come to mean. She's developed a set of very simple dress patterns that she uses to teach workshops so that other people can examine these ideas as well. Sonia Phillip, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me, Abby. Um, All right. So let's just get started with a little bit about your background. Tell me about your life growing up. Did you live in a creative household? Uh, Yeah, I did. I think that that really is what sort of started me on the path of uh, just being a maker and an artist. Um, Both my parents are very creative. My my dad um, is an architect, but who was trained as an architect, but worked as a project manager. And uh, my my mom trained as an interior designer. And just around the house growing up, there was always a project. Uh, my parents bought um, an old Victorian house in San Francisco. And my dad's idea of, uh, I guess, relaxing on the weekends was, you know, after coming home from big job sites of you know, tall skyscrapers would come home and, and fix up the house. And so there was always this element of just do it yourself and possibility. And, uh, growing up, my brother and I would just be around this and see it. And then also participate that, uh, you know, we, we both still have that very much in our lives that, uh, if anything needs to be done, uh, well, Yes, you could call someone, but you could also try doing it yourself first. Um, so we both and know how to... He actually, my brother actually uh, in college learned how to paint houses, so he's a little more ahead of me that he can actually paint the exterior of house. I mainly just know how to paint the inside, but you know, tiling and other things. Um, and it's. I think that it's really... There's that element of having, you know, being sort of witness to it and having it around in your life and seeing that making. Uh, one of my older children went to a, a Waldorf school um, when he was younger, and there's that idea um, in the pedagogy there as far as just children being around handwork and that even if they're not necessarily, you know, always knitting or sewing that if the adults in their lives are doing it, it's enriching. And I I was always really drawn to that. My mother, um, she is an amazing cook. And so having, you know, food, uh, always homemade food and dinners, uh, that was always very important. And just, um, and she would also sew. She, she learned how to sew as a child, and I learned both from her, but I guess formally in school. And 
that was, although she didn't do it regularly, she ha- had a sewing machine and she would take it out. And if something you know needed to be done, then there was the sewing machine. Right. So it definitely, definitely was, was, was in my life. Um, and when you said that you learned to sew in school, would, are, were you referring to grade school or high school or, in, or to college? I learned in um, middle school. In middle school. There was a home economics. Um, and we actually, in the school that I went to, uh, there was a specific needlework class uh, where everybody learned, and meaning boys and girls learned how to use a sewing machine. That's fantastic. That's actually where I learned how to sew as well, eighth grade, home economics, which I sadly think there's very few home economics classes left anymore. But um, all right. So you spent some of your childhood, I know, in Hong Kong. What was that experience like? When did you move there? I moved there uh, when I was eight years old. My dad actually got headhunted and was offered a job there. Um, It was just an adventure. Uh, to do that when you're eight, um, I kind of feel that's how it was billed to me as, as a child, (laughs) just, yes, we're leaving this home that you, you know, uh, and you know, your school and all your friends and we're, we're moving to this foreign country. Of course I'd already, um, I was born in the Philippines and I moved here when I was three. So, um, so it's not like it was unknown, but, uh, I guess to me, I didn't really remember that. And so this was, this was something that was really clear in my mind. And so I had very, very clear memories of just the adventure. Um, you know, even from just moving there to where everything was, our whole house was packed up and put into a container shipped across and of course we got there before our things did and so we stayed in a hotel um it must have been a couple of weeks but we arrived there in the summer and that was just thrilling as a child to live in a hotel and uh just have this time to just wander around and explore with my with my my mom and my brother it was such a cosmopolitan city. I went to a, a British school there, uh, but it was very international, and I had classmates from, from all over the world. Um, How long were you there for? I lived there for eight years. Oh, wow. So that was a long time, and some of those were really formative early teenage years, too. Yes, yes. You know, that was also an interesting time in the history of Hong Kong as well, because it was when, uh, they were preparing for the, called the the talks to hand Hong Kong back over from the British to China. Um, and it was just this tremendous period of growth. It was the eighties. And so, you know, everything was about money and wealth and Hong Kong was at the center of it. So it was, it was very exciting. Yeah. Interesting experience, but interesting sort of early life experience. So, so you came back, uh, to the United States and you went to college, got a degree in creative writing. Um, and you consider yourself to be self-taught when it comes to art. Did you take some art classes in college though? I mean, how did you, how did you learn to be an artist? You know, I never took, save for a bookmaking class, um, 
book arts class when I was in graduate school, I never managed to take an art class in college. Um, my route was kind of a circuitous one. When I was in high school, I loved art, took art classes. Um, they were my favorite classes and always intended to go to art school. And, you know, that, that just was, you know, I, I self-identified as an artist just very early on elementary school. Just, I loved making and drawing and all sorts of things. Um, and then I had a child very early and that sort of put a pause in, uh, going directly to school and had a, you know, young child, young toddler while I, while I started, uh, my undergraduate. And what I found was when I would look at, you know, the class catalog every year, I'd, I'd, I'd look at, you know, the classes I should take and then the art classes and the art classes always seemed to be bang in the middle of the day. These were the studio art classes and, several hours long. And even though I had amazing childcare on campus, it always just seemed like this, um, I don't know, like a, like a luxury. I couldn't, couldn't afford or justify that, that all that time would then eat up my schedule and then I wouldn't be able to take other classes. And so, uh, it never really worked out. And I, I, I never took, I never took a class. Um, so I went, you know, it was, I went in as an art history major, and then that changed from art history to anthropology to finally landing in just literature, and then from there, creative writing. I could not make up my mind uh, and just was interested in lots of things. And, and then I guess creative writing was a creative outlet uh, in 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 among those things. So, and did you, did you say that you went to graduate school after that? I did. Yes. Um, and I got my MFA in creative writing with an emphasis in poetry in, in that, I think you had to take, you know, there, there was a requirement of taking, you know, not just your regular literature classes and your workshops, but you had to take another, uh, you know, type of class, for the, the degree requirement and they have this amazing book arts program. And so I took a book arts class and it was really, that was, uh, it was, it was a really nice, uh, introduction. And, uh, I always tell people that book arts was one of the most useful classes, <laughs> maybe in all my education. And then I use, I use the things that I learned there so much and, and not just art, but many things. So what are some of the things from that class that you do use? I, you know, just even simple things like folding paper and using a bone folder. I never, never knew about a bone folder and, uh, and just, you know, how, how to glue things and, um, stab bindings. I got really good at non-adhesive bindings because I would be so, I would procrastinate and not do my my homework until the night before, and you can't glue things uh, just 
on the fly. So, so most of my work was, uh, sewn bindings and various ways of folding. Um, and it's, it's, uh, really just a really interesting craft. Yeah. And it's interesting too, in that it combines both the sort of make it yourself, you know, DIY, if something needs to be done attitude of, you know, your childhood along with, um, a place to put the poems. Yes, definitely. Definitely. So that's neat. Um, okay. So, so after graduate school, um, it sounds like you started to make art sort of more as a, as a more serious and maybe more kind of full-time idea. So what was that transition like? So after graduate school, I, I kind of felt that I, I, the way I like to see it is almost that I think getting my degree in creative writing sort of saved art for me because I felt that going to school and studying poetry and just going to workshop after workshop, it almost, you know, beat it out of me that I just got so tired and it killed my love of, of writing that at the end of it, I was sort of wrung dry and, and couldn't, didn't, didn't really have any, any, any more poems in me as it were. I still write occasionally, but I didn't choose, uh, to pursue writing further. Um, I, you know, had two children at that point and because it seems like I go to school, I have a child, but that seems to be my, what, what I would do just like not, not satisfy with making it, making school just be the hard thing. (laughs) So I, at that point got really into knitting. Uh, this is sort of where, and also really into blogs. And actually when you were saying we met on Twitter, I remember, I remember reading your blog. Um, and just, that was, I guess the heyday is we're talking, 2004, 2005, when all these craft blogs were really sort of hitting their stride. Um, and, and so I discovered this whole world of not just knitting, um, online, but also, um, just people who would make things and, and take photos and share, um, and I became, I started a blog myself and, uh, a knitting blog <laughs> and what, what it doesn't exist anymore. What was that blog called? It was called Knit Sonia. I just knit plus my name. And, and it was really finding a community. Um, and I didn't have necessarily one you know, where I lived that I'd go to knitting groups and I, there would be, you know, parents at school that were creative, but really, you know, through blogs and online, I found this like-minded, uh, like-minded people who, who were interested in making things and, uh, and interested in sharing and how I approached knitting was, um, you know, I really 
I say that I, I took to it like a duck to water and um, just knit constantly and would knit from patterns, but also you know, I would just think up things and, and was always drawn to experimenting and, well, could that be done? You know, Could you knit with dental floss? Would it be possible to do this? Um, and just was always thinking about it. I designed knitting patterns. I made things to sell like hats and sold them in stores. And I tried all of these different things with knitting. Um, you know, it, it, uh, I guess it was just like how to parlay my passion for knitting into something more, I guess how to keep me in yarn really was the sort of the bottom line. I realized that it's like, okay, well, I can't really knit, you know, these beautiful hats for stores because I'm, you know, making a dollar an hour and my little sweatshop for one making them. And I, it's extremely fold deadening to just knit the same thing over and over again. And I taking an idea, seeing if it work and doing it one time or several times and then moving on to the next thing that that just was, um, worked with with my personality and perhaps attention span and then those those finished things would end up being really more art pieces than yeah Mm -hmm. the idea of just having it be one off rather than okay now make 20 of these and so and I guess that is how through knitting it, it helped transition from you know here's just a utilitarian piece to more a, you know, something, I guess, an art piece. Right. And then, um, and then those art pieces, um, it, you know, you, it seems as though you've, um, created small series. So even though you didn't like production work of making, you know, 25 huts to sell in a retail store, um, making a series of 10 shapes, knitted shapes that, um, sort of vary but relate to one another did appeal to you? It did. Um, I think, you know, it might go back to, I don't know, when I was when I was writing poems, I could never really, you know, I had classmates who would write these page long, you know, pages of poetry or long sagas, and I could never do that. I would always just write these small, several line poems. Um, and a way of, of sort of getting around that was like, okay, if I can write a whole, like 20 of these four line and just put them together, then that's, then that's how we can sort of box them up. And, and so, and I still, I, I, I just struggle, I guess. I don't know if it's so much attention span is more like, I like things to be succinct and, and, and not, and it's, I don't necessarily want to pad things. And so for me, um, in my work, it's a way of really exploring it. If I have an idea, then I'll, you know, do this rough draft, try it out the first time. And then through doing it over through doing something over and over again, I, uh, you know, each time I'm perfecting it, exploring a new way. And 
you know, it's, it's really very soothing and, and meditative to, you know, when you, when you can almost let go of the thinking and just let the hands, you know, that they have a memory. And when you're doing something that you've done over and over again, uh, that point of where you're just lost in the work and, and you know what to do, you know, the exact movements of, okay, I'm going to start, I'm going to do this. The needle goes like this. And you don't even have to think about it. Um, that there's that, that place is a really, is a really wonderful one. As I said, it's, it's, it's a meditation. It is. It's blissful. Um, (laughs) that's absolutely, I like to be there at least a little while every day. Um, so, so that actually brings us to, um, 100 acts of sewing. Um, so you set yourself a goal to sew a hundred dresses in a year, which is kind of an amazing goal, um, with sort of a focus on, on the skill and the craftsmanship required to make your own clothing. So first, why dresses? Yeah, the focus was on dresses because I, I really wanted a uniform and I had some linen dresses that you know, one or two that I loved and had always thought, okay, if I could just find more of these, I would wear them. Just that's all I would wear. And having young kids and, but being tired of just putting on the sweatpants and the t-shirt, I wanted to look a little more put together, but I didn't want to spend a lot of time thinking about it. And so Hence the idea of a uniform. And I think that would be completely at odds with my younger self who had school uniforms and hated them. But really, you don't have to think about, you know, you don't have to give, stand in front of your, your closet and think, what am I going to wear today? I, I kept thinking like, oh, I, I love this. How can, and, and I can't find it anywhere. How can I duplicate this? And and I didn't trust at that point my my so my own sewing skills. Um, you know, as I said, I had learned in middle school. I found sewing frustrating that I could do it, but my ideas were always, you know, at at uh, sort of one level, and then my ability was at quite another. And I would get frustrated that the end product would never, would never meet my expectations. Um, and also my, you know, I just, I, I wanted it to be done. I wanted to rush through it and have realized that, well, you can't do that with sewing. You, you, it does take time. Um, and there are lots of finicky steps. And if you don't, do, you know, half of them, then you're not going to end up with a very great looking end result. But, uh, I just kept insisting on doing it my way, the shortcut way. And while this worked for making things like Halloween costumes for kids or wonky quilts, it didn't really translate well into garments that I would wear out in the world. With that, I kept thinking like, okay, maybe I could take this to a tailor and have it made. Well, 
I never got to that point because I thought, well, that's going to be expensive. Well, maybe, maybe I could send it with my mom if she goes to the Philippines and have it made there. Well, that never happened. Uh, maybe I could trawl on eBay to try and find more of these. Well, you can spend your whole life doing that. Um, can I ask, where did that original dress come from? Like, where did you find that original linen dress? I think that I found that from a from a thrift store. It's a a flax linen dress, and it just was really simple, square neck, princess seams, and uh, just one of those things where they made it one season, and that was several seasons ago, and they never, right. you know, they never repeated that particular design. And so did you just lay it down on a piece of paper and trace it and try? What I ended up doing first was going back to thrift stores. And, you know, if, if you look at what's available, for some reason there are, maybe because they're completely unwearable, um, there are a lot of these ankle length linen dresses available. Uh, so what I first started doing was taking those and chopping them off and and this is you know when I look when I look back and I sort of like devil may care I, I what I did was I chopped the hem off and then undid the the side seams and then created panels um, from the from the bottom of the dress and and sewed them in and then made an atrocious hem uh and that was my first sort of successful reconstruction and so i and i and i wore it and and that was um you know workable and then i i had a uh a friend who kept saying you should sew you should sew and i said no 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 i can't i i'd convinced myself nope i can't make garments for myself i can't do that. She told me about this woman, Cowpatch, um, who has a website called Hodgepodge Farm. And, and she has a book, and I believe it's called Design It Yourself Clothes, and, or Design Yourself Clothes. I always get the title wrong. And I got the book. I looked at it. It seemed too complicated for me, but this and friend owns a store and uh, called a verb for keeping warm, and she brought Cal Patch in to teach a class on basic pattern making. And so I, I took the class, and everything kind of clicked. The it wasn't a sewing class; it was how to draft a pattern. So what we did was we made a basic skirt and then a basic dress. Even though I wasn't sewing in that class, there was all this, there was enough sewing language being used. I realized that I knew more than I thought I did and that I was understanding things. Um, things were clicking. And, you know, also Cal is an extremely patient teacher. And I went home from that and the next day went out and bought some muslin bought a French curve, went and redrafted a pattern and, and made a muslin, made it way too large, changed it up. And then, you know, I, I had, I 
had all this fabric because even though I wasn't technically sewing, I was still buying fabric because I loved it. And I used some fabric from my stash and made my first dress and put it on. And I was so, it was this like eureka moment of really here was all these years of frustration and believing that I couldn't do something. And here all of a sudden I could, it was, it was really a, a you know, sort of moment of transfiguration. I thought like, Oh, I, uh, I made a dress. I made a garment, number one. And number two, it's cute. And I would wear it. And I just thought I, I'm for some, I don't know, for some reason, the, I went and made three more within that week. So I'd made four dresses in a week, all, you know, different iterations of the same pattern, just using different fabric. I just was swept up in the enthusiasm of, uh, you know, it's almost like this dam had just burst that I, I could do it. And I don't know when, but the number 100 popped into my head, and I just thought, I'm going to make 100 dresses, uh, that I was so just incredibly happy that, and in that, I guess, delirium, the, the number 100 popped in. And at that point, the idea for a project hadn't um, crystallized. It was just, uh, you know, as I said, this sort of giddiness while this was sort of taking over my life, I thought, well, you know, I really, if only there was a way to make this, you know, into a project. And I, I don't know if it was in February or March, but, um, I think probably by February, I started then documenting and taking photographs of the dresses that I'd made and then, um, came up with a name and then I guess all dresses because, it was some consistency and I, you know, it is your original question, why dresses? It's something that I wore and, and wear on a daily basis. And then I started putting the photos on a Tumblr site and wrote a brief statement and then, you know, just kept making them and, and photographing each one as I made them and having some consistency in, in photographing always on a white wall with a hanger. You know, at first, all of the dresses were very similar. Then, you know, as I as I got deeper into the project, they, they started, um, they, they changed, they varied. And it was, uh, it was, it was really an interesting, interesting experience. So I want to talk a little bit about body image. Um, so I don't sew clothes for myself. And one of the reasons I don't, um, is cause I, you know, I don't know that I want to spend time showing off my body, which I guess is sort of a sad statement, but it's true. I'm five foot two. I'm not, uh, super thin. I don't look like the sewing bloggers that you see who are like fashion models who sew all their own clothes. And so anyway, I guess for me, that's always been the biggest sort of stumbling block and feeling like, do I really want to spend time sewing something for myself? Um, so tell me, so tell us a little bit, what do you look like? You're, you know, I'm talking to you from Boston, you're in San Francisco, we've never met in person. So, so how tall are you? Do you fit into off the rack clothes? Do you like the way they fit you? 
Uh, well, I'm a little taller than you, but not much. <laughs> five five, um, and I am I am I guess what you would call heavy. Larger woman is the uh, the the term I guess. A woman of size. So I fit into. You know, if things if things have enough stretch, I could squeeze into an extra large or an extra extra large. Um, but really, you know, this sort of quest for a wardrobe did come from, or a uniform did come from frustration with what was available. And you know, if you go into say the plus size clothing stores, and you know, I did not necessarily want to look like Stevie Nicks and wear bell sleeves or, uh, you know, have a maxi dress or, or things like that. So I, for me, I just, I loved the clean lines of, um, you know, Japanese, um, fashion and sewing books. But of course, if, you know, even for an even for an average size person, uh, Japanese sewing books, they're, you know, they're, it's, it's just, they're created for a, you know, entirely different population. And so, uh, you know, I was never really going to be able to make something. So really learning how to draft my own patterns, it just coming to it from that path, I think was really valuable. Um, what I've, what I've, notice not only through knitting but also through sewing is that idea of you know we're we you know you mentioned not wanting to look at your body and I think that that extends to not wanting to measure either that you don't you know it's really along the same token of of weighing yourself that there's the reality in stark numbers it absolutely is that's exactly right and and it's really you know you you can't measure yourself accurately. You have to measure somebody else, and then then you're involving somebody else in in this too. So then they're going to know. And so <laughs> right. so it's really um, and and in teaching workshops, also what I've noticed is that um, you know there will be women who I consider you know that that if I if I weighed the same amount. They were, I'd be extremely happy and, you know, I'm outclassing them by, you know, by stones and they, but they will not want to put on a dress because I have samples of sizes. They'll, they'll choose a larger size and, and I'll say, well, no, why don't you try, you know, why don't you try this one? And it's more fitted. Um, And so I think that there's. You know, and I know just from my experience that there's a, my own personal experience that, you know, we just, we don't want to have to think about our bodies and that I guess it's that sort of disconnect. And, um, so I, I joke that, you know, my, my dresses, they're, they're A-line. I, I joke that it's body unconscious instead of body conscious. <laughs> um, and really just the older I've gotten, I want things to be comfortable. And so something that I could just pull on, it's loose. It's, you know, my, my weight fluctuates from one time of the month to another. So I don't want something that's like, Oh, okay. Now, now this is tight. Oh. And so really just pull on this 
pop this over my head, good to go. Um, but and at so, the same time, that garment is really beautiful. Like, I don't want to give the impression that the dresses in 100 Acts of Sewing aren't beautiful. And I know that, um, you know, you've exhibited them, um, and some of them ended up being for sale because I bought dress 14. So I know that they've been for sale. Um, so, so how did sort of, how did the project, you had a tumbler, you were taking the photos, you thought of a name for the project, you're wearing the dresses. Um, yes. Uh, so how, and then and then there were sort of a, sewing patterns came out from them for teaching work came out of this for teaching workshops and uh, and an exhibit and sale as well. So how did sort of it go from a personal project to a project that was out in the world like that? So I think you know one thing I decided um, was that I wanted to make dresses not just for me but for other people and. What that ended up being was uh, a really great education on on sizes and making things fit a variety of sizes and from anything from you know literally a size two on up to you know from you know to to a size three XL and so it really how to take you know basic pattern and make it work. Uh, and how to do that. So I, I really, and in the beginning, I was just drafting a new pattern. I would, I would get someone's bust size and their measurements and then, uh, and then just draft a pattern specifically for them. And as the project progressed, I decided to teach workshops and then used a basic dress and graded, uh, meaning made, uh, a specific pattern of sizes in, you know, however many inch increments. It really, you know, reported me just this idea that I didn't, I, you know, I didn't want to make clothes that would only fit just one type of, of body, that I wanted clothes that would be uh, universally flattering to any, any, any person, any shape or size. Um, and you know, a lot of that comes from just an A-line that it's a, an A-line silhouette is, is a, looks good on just about everybody. So I, I would, I made these dresses and, and what I, I always knew that I wanted to, once the project was done, exhibit them. So I, I contacted friends or, and, and people ended up contacting me as well and said, okay, you want me to make you a dress? Well, or I want to make a dress for you, but I'm not going to sell this to you because I want it back. Uh, and I might, I might need it back. And so early on I did send out the dresses to people and they, people wore them. And, um, you know, sometimes they were made for a specific person and sometimes there were dresses that were made because I wanted to try something out or I was testing um, sizes for uh, developing patterns. Um, you know, not only was it an education, just learning how to make different sizes and, and different styles, but also it was great fun to really think of a person and think of their personality and make a dress uh, and, you know, sometimes it would be just, you know, just simple that, oh, they like this color. Um, this reminds me of them to 
sometimes I allow myself to go really crazy and just mix and match patterns and 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 it was very it was very fun it was um just as I said customizing that not only to their measurements but also to sort of my picture of them in my mind as the year progressed I stopped sending dresses off and said I've made this for you but I'm not going to send it out and I arranged to uh, rent a, a space in a, in a gallery. And uh, when all of the dresses were done, um, hung them all up. And it was, it was um, quite something in that you would walk into this room and in order to hang the, the dresses, my, my extremely uh, talented and... Uh, I don't know, accommodating husband helped me measure it out. And and this is, I would have just started hanging them, but he had the forethought to measure the room and, uh, you know, really mark out. So they were all hung, uh, four dresses high and all in all on all four walls of the room. And it was, it was pretty spectacular. You just walk in and see just wall-to-wall dresses, this whole room essentially insulated in dresses. And um, and it was really something, seeing just sort of the product of a whole year and seeing them, you know, because, yes, you could you, – you get the same idea if you look through the Tumblr or the website. Um, and also I have uh, a sort of grid of all of them together, but uh, – just seeing them all there and, and seeing how how they related to each other, how you would see that uh, you know maybe I was you know had ha, how one fabric would be used in one dress and then you know maybe used in a pocket and a dress across the way or uh, how I would repeat things and it was it was really great to see that and see it all all at once. Um. So I want to pause just briefly because uh, I think now it's a good time to mention that we have a really sweet little good, uh, giveaway um, that you've put together. So I know you have a little goodie bag. Tell us uh, what's in the goodie bag that relates to 100 Access Sewing um, and how uh, people who are listening might be able to get a chance to win. Yeah, so uh, I do have... Um some patterns that I've designed and they're available uh, for sale in my Etsy store. And just as part of this podcast, I've put together um, a bag to give away for two patterns, um, two dress patterns, as well as an issue of Taproot magazine uh, where I designed a, uh, what's called the Taproot tunic. And so all three of these in so it'd be Taproot magazine dress pattern for dress number one and dress number two in the size of your choice, um, available in a stylish little hundred acts of sewing bag. And if you can enter to uh, to own these, and all you need to do is leave a comment on the while she naps blog of uh, of this uh, podcast episode and in the comment just let me know um you know what is what since since all of this started out from 
you know, a favorite piece of clothing of mine, uh, leave me a co- leave a comment where you tell us about a favorite piece of clothing of yours. It can be something that you made, something that someone made for you, or it could just be a cherished piece of some, you know, that you bought. And uh, but just tell us you know, why it's special to you, what it is, why it's special, um, and. Good luck. Yeah, so this podcast goes up on March 3rd, so we'll keep the contest open for two weeks until March 17th, 2014, and on March 17th, we'll close up the comments and draw a winner, so that's exciting. Thank you so much, Sonia. Um, Okay, so um, just sort of to wrap things up a little bit, um, let's think about sort of how, tell me about how 100 Access Sewing has sort of changed the way you think about yourself and your wardrobe. Um, I love your Pinterest board. You've got like the best Pinterest board ever (laughs) Um, because you pin beautiful clothes that I feel like anyone could wear. So I'm just wondering whether how sort of how this, this project has affected you. Well, I think it's, you know, it's affected, it's affected me in, many profound ways. Um, one, one way is I really don't shop for clothes anymore. I use shop at thrift stores or just regular stores and look for clothes. Um, and now I, I, I really don't do that anymore. And some of it is that I just, instead of buying something that might be, you know, might meet some of my needs. Uh, I could make make that same thing or something similar and have it meet all my needs. It could, you know, fit me um, or be in the color I want or the fabric that I want. You know, I, I, I definitely think about how things are made, where things are made. You know, that in, that informs my purchases much more. But really, I just I haven't. I haven't really bought clothes since, uh, and and that's in, in about in two years. Um, and I think that the other thing that it's done has um, has been that you know the very fact that I can make you know what I want to wear is is really just so fulfilling. And to have that skill, and I and I also you know it's 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 a it's a continuous thing. I, I'm, you know, I, I told somebody that I approach sewing with with great humility. That, you know, I, I don't think that I've I've got it. Uh, I think that I'm continually uh, honing my skills, and that I don't aspire to couture techniques. Um, and there's just a range, um, and I, and I think that, you know, the, there will always be something that that I can learn, that I can uh, explore and, and discover and improve upon, and, but just even you know, with the simplest techniques, to be able to, you know, with just a handful of seams, uh, be able to make a serviceable garment that's flattering uh, is, is really, it's, it's a skill and having those skills, it's, 
you know, it's just, it's something concrete that, uh, it's like, it's a, it's a basic, it's like being able to, uh, you know, scramble an egg. It's, uh, it's this, uh, I don't know, I guess my, my end of the world skills, I guess, I don't know. Um, so I, I will look fashionable once the zombie invasion comes. So fantastic. <laughs> and I think that's actually a great note to end on. This has been fantastic, Sonia. Thank you so much. Where can we find you online? Well, uh, my main website is at www.soniaphillip.com. Um, I'm, and the project website is at www.100actsofsewing.com. Um, on Twitter, I am Sonia Phillip. On Instagram, I am also Sonia Phillip. And Pinterest, same thing. Uh, and I have a Facebook page if you just look up Sonia Phillip. Um, and on Etsy, uh, my Etsy store is a hundred acts of sewing. Super. And that's where we can go to get pattern for dress one and dress two. Yes. And more to come, hopefully. Oh, I hope so. Still adding, you know, things on down the line. Uh, I hope to add more, not just dresses, but, uh, tops and bottoms, skirts, et cetera. So super. We'll be looking for that. And, um, listeners remember to enter the giveaway, leave a comment on the blog post, um, about your favorite, uh, garments, whether you made it or bought it either way. And we'll select a winner, um, on March 17th to get both patterns and the copy of taproot as well. Thank you so much. So you've been listening to the Walsh Naps podcast. I'm Abby Glassenberg. If you've got a question or have a comment about today's show, please head over to my blog, washingapps.com, and I hope you enjoyed it. Bye-bye.